It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is a conversation with my friend Andy Liu, who is the, now he's a credential writer for Warriors World, and he was previously with Golden State of Mind. He and I have known each other for years because he and I have covered the Warriors together, and it was a, a great conversation because we go through talking about how to how to handle this team, how to cover this team, everything that's happened on the process, and then at the end, we start talking about Durant, his decision, and how it's been perceived, and Speaking personally, I think it's probably the most open I've been about the criticism that Durant has faced for that. So if you've ever wanted to hear kind of my thoughts on it, I've considered writing about it before. But Andy drew it out of me, so you'll enjoy that. I think that's around the 50-minute mark. It's an hour conversation. Really enjoyed it, and hope you enjoy it too. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on, Danny. This, I, I was thinking back when, when we figured out that we were going to do this, I was thinking back to the game against the Clippers because we were sitting next to each other and just how ridiculous an experience that was, seeing this team treat a regular season game like it was more than that and just blowing the doors off the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, that was, I, I, honestly, I couldn't understand why they were trying so hard, uh, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, and then when they when they got going, it's when I kind of just said, okay, so this team tried. I think it was some of the comments that, that the Clippers had made uh, before the game, as, as usual. Um, and so once they started getting going, um, last year the Warriors, and, and pretty much the only thing I took away from that game was that last year in transition, the Warriors were unstoppable. Um, like stuff, something I haven't before seen, though I've only you know, watched the NBA for, what, you know, 10, 12 years, covered it for about three years. Um, and now the Warriors in transition, I can't stop thinking about it, will be something that is like the great, might be like the greatest, most fun thing that we'll ever see. For, I mean, fans of the Warriors and people who love basketball, they're obviously the haters as well. But it's just, I, I can't imagine seeing this team in transition, you know, in, in the postseason, in the regular season, just throughout the year. I just can't, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Like, Showtime Lakers? Like, what can be pop- What was more entertaining? What was more fun? What was more lethal? Like, in the open court? The Showtime Lakers are one. I, I wouldn't say they were more. It's just that they're in the conversation. The other one is those best LeBron Wade Heat teams. Right. Those teams were great in transition because what the Warriors do that's really different than both of those is both those squads had a lot of good passers and good athletes so they could move and they could pass the ball. But the Warriors are different because they have so many guys that can shoot. So they can use transition in a different way. So Miami, when they were running those breaks, they were getting crazy dunks. They were getting wide open dunks. And that's an amazing thing to see. I got to cover those teams. It's an experience. But doing that and getting somehow getting a more effective shot than a dunk is crazy. And that's something we haven't really seen before. The Warriors did it a little bit this a little bit last year. But this year it'll be a different degree because Harrison Barnes is a is a good player. He has certain values, but Durant as an offensive as an offensive force is just a very different guy. And in transition, you notice that more because he can handle, he can shoot, and he can pass. And Barnes could do one of those three, but couldn't really put it together. And he didn't have to. They didn't need that. But it's just you know right. it's kind of it's kind of an, a, another cherry on top of the cherry that's already on top of the Sunday. <laughs> right, and there's actually there's one funny uh, and there's one funny moment, and it kind of I guess it points to how spoiled Warriors fans are at this point. Um, obviously, not in the past decade before that, uh, before the last couple of years. But there was one play where, um, and at Oracle, for those you know, never been at Oracle, at Oracle uh, fans 
kind of uh, ooh and ah, and they kind of they kind of crescendos upwards as the Warriors are passing the ball around or running in transition, transition, and it kind of um, climaxes into like a roar when they hit a three, right? And 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 usually it, it usually it's a clay or step three. That's what they want to see. That's like kind of the dagger. So there's this one play in transition where Curry's dribbling down the court and he gets all the way to the rim, but he he doesn't finish. He passes to KD, who's on the baseline, and. KD drives to the rim, and Steph is open in the corner. He, he leaks back out to the corner. And all I could think about was, wait, so why doesn't KD just, just pass it back out to Steph? I think that's something that Yudala or Dre would do to get hit that dagger three, right? Instead, KD drives to the rim, uh, gets the drawn foul call. And, and, and that kind of, so it kind of speaks into two different moments. It's one, um, the Warriors have a different score on the team now, someone that's actually looking to score and can score. Um, something that obviously bars can't do. And the second part um, is that uh, all you ever really want to see from the Warriors is not a layup, not a drawn foul, but those threes, which leads me to kind of think like this is a team that, you know, might shoot the most threes of all time or make the most threes of all time or, you know, shoot maybe the three players that are shooting 40% from these at all time. So, and probably, and most likely have the most dagger threes of all time, um, you know, during games and which makes the Oracle atmosphere pretty fun. Um, uh, at least in the regular season when the crowds are still good. There's a very real chance that we see the Rockets attempt the most threes in NBA history and the Warriors make the most threes in NBA history, which would be a, a kind of amazing thing to see that in the same year because the Rockets are just going to be ridiculous with that, and they are much better shooting, so that margin will probably get tighter. And the other part about Durant that makes this team fundamentally different, it gets to that play that you were talking about, is that he's a lot better at getting to the line than anybody on this team, and he makes his free throws. He makes you know some somewhere in the 85 to 90% range, depending on the year. And the Warriors have just never really cared about that. They, you know, Clay has talked about before that it's something he wanted to add to his game. And, you know, Hacka periodically came into play because their centers couldn't make him. But it yeah. fundamentally changes it because Steph is a great, he was the best free throw shooter in the league last year. Clay is very good. Duran is very good. And so it will change some of how this offense works. But at the same point, I think that they won't lose their identity. It'll just be kind of another element they can use at times, but the offense, for the most part, will look more similar to what we saw the last two seasons. Yeah, it'll be fun to see how much KD... Because uh, uh, it's not so much that the Warriors are conforming to who he is. It's actually a, a more of a given thing than I thought. Um, and even Steph, at least at least in three preseason games, however much that matters, right? And who knows what he'll do when the games are actually close, come postseason time. But as of now, Steph is kind of laying back and not shooting those step-back threes or those tough shots that he usually shoots and, and makes. And he's kind of just playing the point guard role. I don't know, and maybe he, you know, I think Marcus Thompson always says he wants to average 10 assists. Maybe he does, but at a certain point, Steph is a scorer. So I don't know how long he's going to keep up uh, giving, the, giving the ball up to uh, KD, Clay, and, and Dre, and, and that kind of, you know, if he's, if he's averaging like only 20 points by midseason, you know, that, that, that might not sit well. But, you know, who knows? That's kind of, that's kind of more of like uh, uh, kind of just guessing the stats, not really. I don't know. That's mentality will be fun. That's my, that's my most interesting thing this year is, is his mentality on how often to pass, how often to shoot, taking those types of shots, and who takes over when the offense hits a low, if it hits a low. So last year was Steph, maybe this year, I think it's this year it's KD. Um, that's going to take over the offense when, when the offense struggles. So. Yeah, there have been two things that have been really surprising. So one is that my expectation, like I think everybody else, was that it would be Durant making the biggest adjustment because he's the one joining the team. And that is still a big part of this. You know, I'm not going to understate that. But it is important to note that he has been more quickly adjusting to it than I expected. And, you know, as you said, Curry has been has been the bigger part of it. And the second thing is a lot of what, you know, people like you and I discussed during the offseason, you know, from July 4th on was where are the shots going to go? And the real truth was we never knew. You know, we didn't know for sure. We had expectations. And through three games, which is far from everything, especially considering teams are not playing their best guys, is the answer has been more kind of egalitarian. It's been, well, the shots are going to whoever's open. And I didn't expect that to be where this started. And there are reasons to believe that it's going to be that way for a little bit longer. And the reason for that is because the shots are so open. You know, like you're not going to tell 
Clay or Katie yep. or Steph to turn down those shots. So if you don't have to get into the more complicated stuff, like the real ball and player movement that are the hallmarks, if you can get good looks anyway, then maybe the answer is going to be, you know, some nights Clay's going to take 15 shots, some nights he's going to take five. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think I think they're okay with that. So I think that was the biggest thing. I also think like there were a lot of shots that that are lost now with most of the bench gone. Um, I mean, like Barbosa, Space. So I think the, I think the bench is better. So I mean, we go over that later. I think the bench is much better than it was last year. And and with Clay and KD has been playing with bench units uh, in the second quarter lately, they get extra shots there as well. I, th- I think it's um, uh, a lot of it's going to be interesting to see what what actually happens when the games are closed. So. Obviously, um, you know, everybody who's played knows, like, when everything's going well, it's going well, right? Even Steph can shoot eight shots and they're 30 and five. Like, okay, that's fine. No, nobody really cares. But what happens when, uh, when they're in a playoff se- a series or even in a, even in a regular season game, um, and the game, the game comes down to the last five minutes? Who, who's actually, like, what's actually going to happen? Last year, it was basically just a Steph, Trey, pick and roll. Um, and then you got Clay coming off the screen nonstop. Um, stuff like that. That's what they ran repeatedly. But this year, are they just going to keep running like different sets each time because they can and they'll get open shots? Or are they going to stick to maybe one or two plays, maybe uh, KD, Dre, pick and roll, or, or some type of... Uh, they love running that floppy uh, play that they love to do. They're even running uh, KD at the wing and then Dre coming off that and Steph on the opposite side coming off a pin-down screen, right? So what are they going to go to when the games are actually closed? That's interesting because... Um, you know, you never know. Maybe, maybe Dre will get pissed. Maybe KD will want those shots. Maybe Steph won't actually pass in those situations. Maybe he'll want to shoot because he's been used to that as the best warrior on the team. So those, those will be interesting things to monitor, uh, uh, you know, as the regular season goes on if they, if they play, you know, close games. That's also something that ties in with Oklahoma City's most prominent failing last year, which was their crunch time lineup. You know, the crunch time situations, especially game six of the conference finals, their offense completely devolved, and the Warriors probably won't be as comfortable with that. It did actually happen a little bit with them last year, but that's also because they ran such they could they could do so well with that high pick and roll that it didn't they didn't have to run anything more complicated. But they won't do the you go then I go one on one type of stuff. That's not that's not who yeah. this team is, and the, it it will also be important you know to see how they do in that. I mean the Warriors are one of the best crunch time teams of all time last year partially because they didn't you know they didn't have those kind of squabbles and because they were great defensively and there, you have all the reason in the world to believe that they will be similarly good as long as they care defensively in those in those times because that's when Durant over Barnes will be an upgrade defensively you know maybe it won't be for the first 40 something minutes of the game but then in those crunch time minutes in the playoffs he can take it up to the level he showed last year but offensively you're right like there are a lot of different ways that it can go and as much as these guys can put their pride aside if they're winning they're still putting their pride aside and that's something that is always a little bit perilous when you're dealing with these guys that all have all have these pedigrees i mean all of them have incredible success three of three of those four have olympic gold medals curry doesn't have an olympic gold medal he just has back-to-back mvps so that that kind of an ish thing, is, I don't think it's going to rear its head as much in a way that, like, I mean, of course, we'll talk about it because it's our job, but I don't think it will be an issue for chemistry or anything like that, but it's just something to watch moving forward because, you, you, you know, all these guys think that they can be the man at moments, and I think they'll be happy if that opportunity comes, every, you know, every so often as opposed to every game, but... They all want that chance, and they all want to prove it, and so that's going to be important because, for the most part, those four—I'm guessing it'll be those four and Andre—that'll close games, and he, you know, he'll be more cool with not having the ball in his hands. But all the rest of them want it. Yeah, and when when people talk about the weaknesses, I've seen a couple articles written, and, and like rim rim protection, there's that, there's you know the the weakness of the bench moving forward. But I, you know, I, I think it's mostly it's up to the Warriors. Like last year. Uh, the the only reason why I thought they would lose was it's going to be something that they did wrong. It's going to be something that the Warriors can't control. Uh, and I you know wasn't accounting for the injury part, but that's what happened in the suspension. No, although that was more Draymond's fault. That was that was his his downfall. But uh, in this case, I don't think you know they might have rim protection issues, and maybe their bench is worse. Maybe they won't get those uh, most base games that kind of saved a couple games that year where where he gets hot. But they can overcome that just by having that larger margin of error by having KD, right? So even though those types of things are weaknesses, 
it kind of it, it doesn't cause a loss. What actually I, I think will cause them to either fall apart one, two, three years from now or lose a championship this year is going to be up to them. It's going to be up to whether and the first thing people think of is going to be up to like someone like Draymond maybe right maybe maybe he won't be able to handle a lesser role because he's not going to be the small ball five all the time. I think I think Kerr might play KD as a small ball five and, and give Draymond some rest. So you know and Gray sitting on the bench and you know, we know Dre uh, maybe he won't take kindly to that or. Or maybe even Steph or something like that. Who knows? You know, we don't, we don't know these guys personally. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, and this situation has kind of never been seen before. At least these guys in their prime, where I think Clay could be a top scorer on a team. Maybe not a championship team, but, you know, we know Steph can, Trey, Sarah, especially on defense. But, you know, it'd be interesting. I think it's up to these guys to figure it out. Um, and if they can figure it out, they're not going to lose, regardless of those bench weaknesses, uh, Anderson Barishow weaknesses, or things like that. So, it's, it's, I think that's the only way these guys can mess it up themselves. Yeah, that was something that came out in the, in the game against Sack, you know, the one that was at the Shark Tank. was I, I wrote about it after the game saying my lesson from that was the most likely way for the Warriors to lose is if they help. You know, if, if they turn the ball over too much, if they make easy mistakes on defense, and that sort of thing will happen. It's an 82-game season. You know, there, there will be moments we've talked, you and I have talked for years now about the idea of how they, you know, sometimes they're overly aggressive in terms of the way they pass at Oracle because they want to make that play that we talked about with the Uzi yeah. and Oz and everything. And, you know, sometimes that'll burn them. I think that was a big part of the game against Boston. They lost at Oracle last year, and they will have those. They will have those. But what's so terrifying to the rest of the league, or what should be, about this team is that when they're not firing on all cylinders, they'll, they're still better than everyone else. And they're not as much better, you know, like teams like Cleveland and Boston maybe and the Spurs can can beat them on a given night. But last year, you know, there was this open conversation about, you know, how good would the Warriors be without Steph or, you know, how, how good are they? Well, that isn't as much of a question anymore because Steph is huge and he, you know, he could be a deserving MVP again this year. But if he were theoretically out, then you're playing one of their point guards Clay, Durant, Draymond, and probably Andre, and they're still really, really good. And so that's a, a very different thing than this team had, where last year they had an un, they had an unambiguous alpha and just the best supporting guys in the league. Now they have two guys who could be the best player on a championship team and arguably should have been. Right. Yeah, I, I think, actually, I think that's the one injury. Actually, I think that's the one person they can't lose. I think some are saying, like, maybe Dre is the most indispensable on defense. But I think the one person they can't lose is Steph, because it's, it's interesting to me that I think he's the person with the uh, highest self-awareness um, on the court. Because I think that with Dre, while he is a smart player, he is prone to um, just doing whatever comes to mind at the time. Um, and I think Steph is the most, uh, is like the, the calmest. And I think while KD is calm as well, he's not the distributor or the um, ball handler that Steph is. So I think if they were to lose one person, um, and then maybe, and then if that happens, they could lose a series to say Cleveland. I think it would be Steph um, because just just watching it now. I mean, and I said for like in, in preseason, he's going to be the guy that's making those decisions still. Um, and I think with him out, that's still that that that's still going to be tough um, because with uh, with Dre, KD, and Clay, I still don't necessarily, especially if, if Steph is out don't trust that type of decision-making um, throughout the course of a series or a game. But, they, yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point. Yeah. And they also don't have a real replacement that can do, you know, like if Ian Clark has the best year, like the year that so many Warriors fans hope that he'll have, then maybe he can become that poor man Steph who can be more of the catch-and-shoot part than the running the offense part. Yeah. But he's not there yet. You know, he hasn't proven that. And until he proves that, you, you can't really consider it. And also... While it doesn't fix everything for limited stretches of time, Durant can basically take Draymond's role. You know, like Durant can become exactly, Draymond, yeah. and then the question can be, well, then who becomes Durant? And, you know, that's a different thing. But basically then what you're doing, it, so this year, if you if you think about Durant in that way, really what you're trying to replace then is more of you're trying to replace Harrison Barnes in the death lineup than Draymond. And they can do that. You know, it's it's... Not easy, but it's also not nearly as hard as replacing Draymond himself. And Durant probably won't want to do that for, you know, 40 games in a season. But for, you know, 10-minute stretches from time to time, sure, I think he's down with that. And that's a part of being on this team. And they also will be playing in so few, probably, competitive games 
that I think they'll really get up for that because they're not going to get tested that often. And so when they get tested, I think they're going to just the competitive juices in all these guys. I mean, we've covered them for a long time. I've covered Steph his entire career. These guys like those moments, and I'm not sure how comfortable they're going to be with the possibility that they don't come that often. Yeah, that's that. that I mean, you could spin that kind of as a bad thing, just the fact that they they in those situations where they don't actually play close games all year, and then when it comes down to it, and then maybe those because in the preseason, remember the first game, uh, I rewatched the Vancouver game um, a little bit too, and even against the Kings, where they kind of overpassed. Um, but you know that that will kind of go away as the more they play together, but. Even if it goes away, it'll go away when we're talking about them overpassing in the first quarter and the second quarter and third quarter. But if they are in crunch time and they've never played with each other in crunch time and they don't do it often enough, then we might see a lot of overpassing there. Though we do know one person that won't overpass is Clay, um, which which I guess we should have seen coming. Um, the one person that had no hesitation and could you know fill in the best was going to be Clay because no matter what, he's jacking it up. Because um, even even Dre isn't shooting much, um, and I guess that Steph is in and then KD. Uh, is still feeling things out. So, um, so I mean, that, these are kind of worries that I don't know. I, like, I don't know how real they are, but I mean, we, it, when I think about it, it's more of like I just got, I just kind of, I'm just kind of find things to where the Warriors are gonna, you know, are gonna be susceptible to, um, and that that's. I like the best way to think about it. I was talking with somebody, I think it was after the Sacramento game, about the idea that Clay being the the stopping point in the offense, and I don't mean that in a negative way, shouldn't have been a surprise to us intuitively because everybody else will, you know, take a dribble and make that pass, but Clay is of the mind always that an open <laughs> an open three for me is a good shot. So like why why would we try to get anything better than that? And so there will be a lot of times where he'll just be like I'll take that shot and it'll be a good shot. You know, he's not, I'm not saying he's bad. That's a bad thing in any way, but that will happen more than somebody like Steph who will at moments be like, Oh, well, you know, is, is KD getting his, is Draymond getting his Clay? Clay doesn't have that thought process. Like that's just not the way he works. And that helps this team because it does kind of give a form of clarity. And you're right that overpassing can be a challenge sometimes. And Miami dealt with that a little bit early on in their thing. I believe Boston did as well when their super team formed, when they, when they got the trades with Garnett and Pierce, which came up a little bit today, and arguing with people on Twitter. But... <laughs> there, there is this, there is this kind of idea that part of what makes me so excited for this season is that usually when you have a team as good as the Warriors, they're interesting to watch because of that, because they're really good. But there will be an evolution of the offense, the defense, crunch time, all that sort of thing over the course of the season. And so for the people that follow it closely and are invested in it, whether they're invested because they're fans or like us, they're invested in it because it's their job, that is going to be interesting the whole way through and so they're a team where you're not going to want to check in on them you're going to want to keep following it because it's always and and because they're so good and because they're you know they're a part of determining titles it's going to be relevant so it's kind of like it's kind of the larger uh thought process for me on this is there's been a lot of with with great teams there's always hate i mean uh, i was referencing today on twitter as well i didn't even like the case i didn't like the lebron decision uh when he you know moved over to miami um i was you know, it's like I was just graduated high school, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know much, um, and I wasn't really mature, didn't understand these types of uh, uh, nuanced situations. Um, so when the Warriors got together, even starting last year, they were starting to get hate, um, and a lot of things have been said to where, hey, the NBA has no parity, people aren't going to watch. Um, but that speaks to a large point of what you're saying. What uh, I mean, like Game Seven was one of the most watched games, um, and then this year, every Warriors game. Um, it's going to be basically on national television. Each every single game that they play this year is going to be sold out, uh, home arena or opposing arena. So I, I'm just trying to decipher like this is good for the NBA, right? I mean, this is something that uh, regardless of whether they're going to win the next five championships or maybe they just get together for one year and Steph goes to Charlotte, KD goes back to my uh, Oklahoma City next year because they're free, free agents, right? Regardless of what happens, this this has to be good. I I don't understand the the faction to where you know this is a faction of people that are saying this is something that's not good for the NBA. That's something that's not good for fair. Remember, I mean LeBron's been in the NBA Finals for the last thirty five years, so I mean that's not that that isn't happening on that side. So I'm just I'm just trying to understand you know the thought process because I am writing a piece. Well, it's trying to understand the thought process of people that don't live in the Bay Area, that don't live on the uh, uh, in the coast, to see how they perceive players and how they perceive the NBA. So that that's been something of an interest of mine, um, kind of moving forward. 
There's this strange duality that you see around the league because there have been a lot of great teams. You could even call them super teams, even in the last 20 years, you know, like they're even since Michael Jordan left the Bulls that that have been Mm -hmm. really special. And some of them have worked, some of them have not. And you get this group that's like, oh, it doesn't it doesn't make it more fun, you know, and, and a lot of that is kind of outcome. It's outcome based. It's that, you know, when you're watching a game, you're not really wondering whether the Warriors are going to win. And so if that's how you focus on sports, there is a there is some legitimacy to that. You know, the Warriors, while they won't win every game, and I think that makes their losses more special. You know, like people remember that Minnesota game. People remember that Boston right. game or Milwaukee when the streak ended. Those are those are experiences, and you never know ahead of time when it's going to be. But you also have this group of people, which I think we're both in, and there are a lot of writers. I talked with Jared Dubin yesterday about this, who are more interested in the process and the sport of basketball. And for those people, this team is so exciting because they're trying. There will be a, a compilation of players that we've never really seen before. Like this is a very different thing than than we've seen in the NBA because you have two MVP candidates in their prime, which was one of the things I keyed on, you know, a while back. And when you and I would talk about this, you know, even two seasons ago, was that that idea, and that's something we've never really seen before. Then there's the what they could do on defense and what they can do on offense. So yeah, if you're focused on who's going to win the title, I would say right now the Warriors are the most likely champion at this point in the last you know, 20 years, maybe they're the most likely, like when you start the season and that doesn't mean it's a guarantee far from it, but they're in that boom. But so if that's how you're defining it, but the NBA season is really long. There are a lot of other things you can focus on and all of those are going to be interesting and how other teams choose to defend the Warriors. You know, I I think they will be a, a galvanizing force. They will be a clarifying force four teams in the league. So let's talk about, you know, like Portland, like how Portland chooses to defend the Warriors will teach us a lot about what Terry Stotts is as a coach. Same with Dallas, same with the Spurs, you know, Popovich, like how teams adjust and how far they're willing to go because this team is so ridiculous, how far they're willing to go in terms of bending their own strategies. I mean, you could argue, and I would, that last year the Spurs lost to the Thunder partially because Popovich wasn't malleable enough that he wasn't willing to change you know go to those really off the wall lineups you know Kawhi at the four Aldridge at the five the Warriors will push that envelope but some teams just won't do it yeah I think there's I think there's this notion that if a team if a team doesn't experience or or they don't experience what you want as a fan perceived as you know trials and tribulations that that it's not a you know that it's not fun or that it's not deserved, or something like that. You know, it seems like it's going to come easy. It seems like the next four titles for the Warriors are going to come easy. They're just going to walk through the rest of the league, and that doesn't make it entertaining. But at the same time, I mean, you you follow me, and, and some people do as well, running a victory lap for the Warriors all year in a joking fashion as they won 73 games, and they kind of... Uh, blew through the beginning portions of the postseason, but you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, at this point, I, I do like I do agree with you. Uh, like the Warriors are favored to win, but Kyrie's getting better. I mean, Kevin Love was didn't do a thing in the finals. Now he's a bad matchup, but but you never know. I mean, they might play him in bench units and kind of figure out and kind of un- unlock maybe the Minnesota version of Kevin Love, which with those bench lineups, which could, which could cause trouble against a David West or something like that, but. But yeah, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that the, the Warriors don't—they're not categorized as a team, and they're—they're they're gathering hate because they're not at this point experiencing too many obstacles. I guess is a thing uh, that they're going through. But but it's not like teams aren't trying at this point, and I do think there's something to be said that um, this is the most talent the NBA has ever had. But you know a lot more uh, with regards to uh, the NBA history than me. But uh, is that crazy to say that the NBA has the most talent now than it has? in the 80s and the 90s and maybe the you know the 2000s as well well something kevin pelton's talked about before is that we're in a, a span where it's been a long time since expansion and there was actually some reporting out there today that the nba will consider yeah. and, and expansion generally dilutes it a little bit even though it doesn't move star players around as much it just takes a little bit of talent off the mid-level of teams you know like let's say you take a, ben- a, a notable bench guy let's say you know, kind of the equivalent of the eighth or ninth guy off a team like the Warriors. You know, that's probably who would do that. And also, it's just another team that's getting high draft picks. So your role, it's another team okay. that gets a lot of rolls of the dice. So that is one way of measuring quality. However, 
this year is going to be different than last year because the top teams got a little weaker. They didn't get weaker on the high end. You know, like it's not like the Cavs lost LeBron or Kyrie or anything like that. But having a season without Del Vidova is going to hurt them. You know, Del, even though he was useless in the finals, or wasn't used, is probably more accurate, he is still a good, a good player. Tim Duncan is out of the league now, and the Spurs replaced him with Powell, who's far inferior in terms of a team like the Warriors or even, you know, the other best teams right. in the West. So that's a little bit different. But there's another part of this that I think has been underappreciated. And there, there's this sentiment when you talk to league people, the, you know, the, the group of individuals who know things that NBA franchises are going to maybe not push as much for this year in terms of the title teams because of the Warriors. But that opens up a window for somebody, unless people think Cleveland is unbeatable, which I disagree with, for like one team to make a make a bet. And for me, the most obvious one is Boston. So if Boston says, we have all these draft picks, you know, who knows if they're going to work out. Maybe we turn one or two of those into Jimmy Butler, or Gordon Hayward, Paul George, whoever whoever comes on the market. We don't know who that's going to be yet. They could be really good. You know, like that's a team that maybe the Warriors are still favored over them, but they have a a real good shot. They have a, a more than a fighter's chance. And I'm not willing to write off that possibility just because, you know, 75%, 80%, 90% of the league won't think that way because all you need is one. Yeah, I... Boston's interesting. I think that, and I think um, I, I was listening to other uh, well, I think that that Boston, Minnesota, um, in a series has a good chance. I still think in, in one game that um, in one game the Cavs, I think, are the only ones that can that can beat the Warriors. Because I don't think anybody has actually had that type of firepower, and especially someone like LeBron. Uh, well, and, that, and Kyrie that, too, because Cleveland is one of the exactly, only teams yeah. in the league that has two guys that, when they're on, you can't stop them, and like they're the only other As, team. And that's, like, you and I both covered Game 5 of the Finals. While Draymond yeah. being out certainly hurt the Warriors, those guys both going insane carried them to a win on the road on, in a must-win because if they lost, they would have lost the title. Yeah, and I think that, and it's, I think it's interesting, too, that Kyrie hasn't, hasn't you know, last, last season when uh, the Cavs lost the Finals, Kyrie was talking about, hey, um, I was hurt, so, I mean, uh, you know, we would have won if we were full health. Uh, and uh, hey, I mean, right, right. He was well this this uh, last postseason, and they won. So he had a lot of that type of trash talk. And then uh, the Warriors had their own type of trash talk with Clay, Steph. But I, I find it funny that it's really silent this year. You know, Clay. You know, the rest of the Warriors haven't said anything about the Cavs, or the Cavs haven't said anything about the Warriors. So I think that's a sign of respect um, for those two teams together that they realize that hey, um, we can lose to each other um, and we can beat each other regardless of health, whatever it may be. Um, the Warriors know that they can't actually guard Kyrie when he's on. You know, Clay can't, and Steph certainly, regardless of his knee injury, cannot. Um, and uh, uh, the Cavs also understand that uh, they won, but you know, Draymond had to get suspended, and Curry certainly wasn't full health. So I think that that level of respect that these two teams have gathered for each other is pretty fun. Which kind of, uh, which kind of would make it, I guess, more fun if the Warriors didn't have to rant. So it was more. Uh, <laughs> Maybe a more of an even playing field. Now it's now it's kind of like well, the Cavs couldn't really stop uh, the Warriors on offense in the first couple games of the series um, until the Warriors kind of fell apart there. And I mean, actually, the the Cavs kind of warmed down. But now um, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be even more kind of unfair to where they're now have to actually guard KD as well instead of you know how many open shots Harrison Barnes had in games five, six, and seven. Um, and he just missed them all. So um, I, I guess the larger point here is just the the, the amount of respect the two teams have gained for each other because um, I always found it interesting last year that the, the NBA kind of, um, that at least the players and also the older players would kind of not look down, but came the championship and the Warriors' rise to to their elite level of play came with a little skepticism because of, I think, because of, I think of what they look like. They weren't necessarily huge. They weren't dunkers. They weren't post players. So they got the skepticism that other teams may not because of someone like LeBron James who just looks unreal. Um, and then you look at Steph and Clay, and these guys don't look like they can bench 225 um, on a good day. So um, I always thought that was kind of interesting and, and kind of makes the season uh, with less trash talk might be less fun. So I don't know. They, they also... The- have this issue where both teams know that there's nothing they can prove until June. 
So there isn't really much of a point in talking now. Like last year, I think Kyrie <laughs> did that to hype himself, to hype himself up, to hype his team up. You know, the, yeah. reminding themselves they could do that. You don't need to do that when you're the champions, and the Warriors know that they have been champions and can be again. And you know, you you can't can't do that. Yeah, we can beat them when your team is is the best team in the league. Like that's not the best yeah. way to handle that. So they, there is that situation as well, where it's kind of like when, when once you've once you've moved beyond everything else, that there isn't much that you have to do. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what other. I mean, there are other players as well that are kind of like uh, Rudy Gobert or or uh, other players like Marcus Morris or was it Marquise? One of them. But that's more of players that are on the periphery and not, not the star players that are kind of um, not the biggest fans of the KD move. But, uh, I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting to see again how teams they're going to give the Warriors a hundred percent every night. Um, and so that's something that I haven't seen before, where the, where the other team will come in and suddenly start playing their best type of basketball, like like the Timberwolves when they came to Oracle, suddenly like shot lights out um, for one game. And I was just like, wait, like why can't they just do this consistently? But you know that's not how basketball works. But you know they come into Oracle and, and they're giving the Warriors one hundred and fifty percent. And you know, same with Utah. Um, and those types of things. So that makes the regular season entertaining. Um, um, but we know Kerr is going to bench these guys like what five, ten games maybe. But but it's always fun to see the teams play their best when they play the Warriors, um, especially like the Cavs. I think LeBron goes on rest, but he always comes back to play against the Warriors on uh, Christmas Day or whatever it might be. So um, at least that makes the regular season more fun since every single regular season Warriors game is going to be a show in and of itself uh, this year. Well, yeah, it makes this team fundamentally different to watch and to cover because you're going to be seeing a different representation of every other squad than the rest of the year. You know, they're going to make sure that everyone's rested. They're going to make sure that everyone's ready. And you also get this atmosphere. I got to cover a few Warriors road games last year. I don't know how many I'll do this year because the other team's fans, when it's a road game, treat it that way too. You know, it's 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 the game of the year. You know, it's the most expensive ticket for almost every arena. Not only is it sold out, but it's the most expensive ticket. It's the most in demand, especially in the East when they only play them once. And everybody's amped up for it. And sometimes that leads to this quick, you know, let down when, when they go up 15 or 20 or whatever. But then you also get games like when they played the Sixers, where the Sixers gave them their best game of the year. And lost, but you know, kept it close. I think that was the game where Harrison Barnes got a game winner. Harrison Barnes had a game winner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you have those moments as well, and that is another reason why the Warriors will be really fun to watch, both for people like us and just casually, because when you drop in on them, they're also going to have a lot of national TV games. Certain players get up for that. You know, it really does depend, and. It's, it's just going to be an experience, and the fun of having so much uncertainty on a team this good is very weird. The analogy is to the first Miami team, and to have that on a, a franchise that not only won one championship recently, but won 73 games last year. Like, you never would have expected Golden State to be one of the most interesting teams for that reason. You would have expected it for a series of other reasons, and the only way that was going to happen was with Durant. Right, and I think it comes back down. To, and when talking to uh, someone like uh, Ethan about this, it's it's not it's hard to it's also hard to. And I guess maybe the followers, their listeners won't care, but it's hard to write about this team. Um, I, I covered them, uh, Mark Jackson, uh, years after I graduated college. It was fun to write about them because they had flaws, and it was, it was it's fun to write about a team that's not necessarily good or they have a lot of room to improve. Um, you have a lot of stuff to write about, right? Nowadays with the Warriors, it's a, it's harder to write about because. It feels like you're just lavishing praise onto a team that can do no wrong, and um, and you just kind of end up feeling like and I, and I used to be a, a much more of a Warriors fan than I am nowadays um, after years of covering the team. I don't know how it's been for you. You've covered it a long lot longer than I have. Um, but it's like whenever whenever we rewrite something that goes out and it, it is like lavished and it's complimenting the Warriors, people are just like, yeah, you're you're such a homer. And then you look back, you're like, well, I mean. We kind of have a choice. This is the team that this is who they are. They're this great, and I think Nate Duncan put it pretty well when he when he was uh, when I talking about last year. He was like, he's a Bulls fan, but um, at the end of the day, this is this is like one of the greatest teams he's ever watched. Why wouldn't he talk about this team the way he does? They won seventy three games in the in the regular season on track to win another back to back title. You know, so so that makes the team. I guess this is kind of <laughs> complaining. Um, even though the team is that great, but it, it makes them harder to write about because you've really got to search for their types of flaws that they have and, and things like that. 
Um, and I think that some some of the times, at least for this year, I think that some of the back, uh, the backlash for the Warriors, and if they lose games, is going to fall on Draymond. I think it's going to be uh, the, the stuff that he did in the finals and throughout the postseason. Um, and things like that. I think I think if they were to lose or they hit a rough stretch, I think it's going to fall on Draymond, and um, and that will be interesting to monitor uh, moving forward. So uh, you know, yeah, that was the silver lining of Game Seven. It gave me like four angry pieces to write, and a lot. Like I mean, I trashed Kerr for using Verjao and the rotations and things like that. And it also is good to remember that it's a learning process for him too. This is going to be a very different challenge. I'm now remembering another piece that I want to write. And the lens that I've used for the Warriors the last couple of years, because when I started with them, they were horrible. You know, it was they were losing most of their games. I think they won something like 24 or 25 games the first year I covered oh, them. And, and so what I've done, and part of this is, you know, doing things that have more of a national bend to it, you know, dunked on, whatever, is that they're a good team to teach about kind of basketball principles and like, why is this working? Because that's a way of praising them that isn't just like, hey, look at how good they are. It's like, okay, what can we learn from this? What what it, what can go from that? Because you're right, re- lavishing praise on a team, not only is it, I mean, it's it's satisfying for readers to a point. You know, you get into that, you know, it's like after your team. Boring, though. It's, but as a writer, yeah, it's way less fun. And because it's not <laughs> as much of a clarifying process. Writing about, yeah. you know, writing about Mark Jackson helped hone my voice as a writer. You know, it was, I, I, I right. was able to articulate, the, I mean, the idea that drove me for that, you know, for that, particularly the last year, but it was true the year before, was I had to figure out, okay, my thesis was this team can be better than they are. But then it became, how do I explain this to people in a way that is persuasive? And it took, you know, they had that really high-profile game against Oklahoma City that they blew that they shouldn't have lost, where they had, and then there was one where they won, the game where Iguodala and Westbrook both hit game winners. You know, they had those kind of moments. And so there were things that it was like, okay, this is the type of aspect that they can do better. And what I never expected was that right after that, we would get the test case and it would end, even if it ended up being wrong or right, that we got Jackson getting fired after a year where they were so successful. We got a new system, got a lot of changeover, and it was like a test, which is something as a sports fan and as a sports writer, you don't get the chance to experience very often. Usually it's more a situation like, you know, I I was thinking about the Bulls or the Magic or something where, yeah, they changed things, but they didn't change things in a way that could test the criticisms that other people had of their hypotheses. Or the Wizards. Yeah. Yeah. And and so... I think that's... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I think that's a great point because, I mean, for people, you know, that do want to become a writer, I don't, I don't concern myself necessarily a full-time writer, um, but it's, 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 you get used to writing the same thing over and over again when a team is this good. Now, I'm kind of delving into the, the, uh, the way of writing, but, but it's more like, a, and when you watch a team that has balls, you're watching, you're watching it more intently, um, and you're more focused on actually, you know, what's going wrong rather than, hey, you know, the Warriors are able to space the floor with, you know, three, you know, great, or the, one of the three of the greatest shooters of all time, it's more of an anomaly, right? But if you're covering something like a, a more normal team, like a Jazz or the Wolves, you're able to, to learn the game better because they're doing things that normal teams do. The Warriors, you can't necessarily, um, you can't necessarily adapt what you learn and what you know about basketball from the Warriors to other teams. You can't, you can't, you can't say to another team, hey, run this pick and roll or run this off-ball screen and, and tell them this is going to work or think that's going to work because it only works because they have staff or Clay or KD. No work trade. No other team in the world has players like that, at least not together. So that helps with basketball watching, um, at least in my opinion um, at this point. And then, and then with writing, it also helps you expand more, um, you know, just in regards to criticizing the way you're writing, the, the type of narrative writing that you do um, could be different because you're changing it up constantly from uh, writing it from the view of maybe the coach that's messing something up or, or the atmosphere of the crowd or, or things like that. It's, it's less so. I guess we don't, we don't have as much to to vary from nowadays with the Warriors. You kind of know what you're going to get, um, and and you know it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck. It just it just it's kind of more fun, I guess, when the team is not as good. It gives you a little more um, variance with regards to how they're going to play and what's going to happen. So. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. And while I'm sure people think of things like trolling on Twitter as being a better example of this, 
I, per genuinely from an intellectual standpoint, feel that your statement is completely legitimate and is a better example of, if we want to call it arrogant SEN, than anything else. The idea that you cannot apply the lessons of this team to any other team because they're so much better is both accurate and the best depiction of why other people can resent Warriors fans and Warriors writers. Yes. But it's completely true. Like, it, it is difficult to do that, and this team will be clarifying in terms of overall thoughts about basketball, but I'm not completely sure that they'll be clarifying in terms of, you know, that other kind of stuff with the league, like, the, that their lessons will be applicable, because you don't get the opportunity to do it. And the other aspect of this, which is important to consider, is that we're we're all really keyed up for their offense, because their offense is going to be legitimately special, but this isn't you know, the Rockets or a team like that, where they're going to, basically the goal is to win 130 to 125. They're going to be good defensively. They probably won't be, you know, top two, top one or anything like that, in, at least in terms of the regular season. But why it's so ludicrous is that they're going to be one of the best offensive teams in modern history, but they'll also be competent at bare minimum, probably good to very good defensively. And that's crazy. Yeah, I, I their, their defense fell off a little bit last year. I think they actually... They actually get well. I, I wouldn't say they actually get better. Um, I think a lot of the bogus the death uh, lineup will be better defensively, but the rest of it won't be. But yeah. that's enough, you know. Crunch time. If their crunch time defense is better than last year, their crunch time defense was ridiculous last year. Yeah, and and that I mean yeah, that kind of matters more. I mean, keep in mind. I mean, and people don't think about this, but Bogut was good in the postseason. One out of every one once or twice a series at, at most, twice at most in a series, he would literally come on the court and. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say give up. I think he was wearing down a little bit. He, he, you know, it sucks to have to be that big and have that many injuries. But he would literally take fouls just so he can get himself out of the game or stop the play because he couldn't keep up. And he would, I think, in the OKC series, he played one good game. He got one great game. Um, I think it was game four. I think it was one of those where they had to win, and he had one great game. And so it's like Bogus loss is 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 crucial, but it's, it wasn't like he was consistently great. At least not last season. And Festus was hurt a lot as well. So they, they don't have that rim protection. But at the same time, Draymond, he's, he's a good rim protector. And, and KD, we saw he's good as well uh, when he, you know, when he turned it up against the Warriors themselves. So we, we got to see firsthand. So, um, and so, yeah, and like you said, crunch time, the playoffs is kind of what all that matters. They just got to get Zaza and Verjao, maybe West. They just need those guys to soak up enough minutes at mediocre levels at, at best. Um, just to get by in the regular season, and I guess I guess that's not asking for much, right? Um, and <laughs> and they can even play like a loony or something. I don't know in in garbage time, but yeah, they, they just need guys to soak up minutes in the regular season before it all really starts to matter when the postseason. And that ties in with what I think would, was going to be a good last question, which is what so far from what we've seen, what have you thought about the young guys? And that's pretty much Looney and McCaw because Jones hasn't played. Yeah, I I I think I think Clark is going to play more, and I think he's actually going to be better than McCaw. Uh, this year, um, McCall is really, really skinny. Um, he is, and he gets moved. He gets moved around, so he gets moved around really easily, like the way that Clark was in the past couple of years, where he he would just he can McCall can get around screens because he's so quick, but he dies a lot, and he kind of gets moved around a lot on offense as well, where he kind of can't get anywhere. Um, on that, so that, but but I mean, he's a rookie, so what, what can you expect? So he, but I think he's going to be good moving forward, uh, much more than Looney. Looney, I think, has good potential because um, he can. I don't know if he can shoot a little bit, but he's long and he's mobile from what I've seen. But it just doesn't seem like he can stay healthy um, to 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 play enough. And then Kerr has this weird infatuation with McAdoo, who really has not ever been good um, for the Warriors, and they spent a lot of resources on him. So that doesn't really make sense. Um, but it, it'll be fun because the Warriors haven't had, uh, a, 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 like a prospect, uh, not a prospect, but like a, what should I say? Like project, I guess, like a, like a McCall or the, or Looney or someone like that or McGee, even someone like that. So it gives people someone to cheer for like a fan favorite, I guess, um, like a Maurice Bate, except that they actually have more potential to become a worthwhile rotation NBA player moving forward. Cause I think they might need McCall and they might need Looney in the next couple of years. Um, when, uh, when they need to resign, you know, KD and, and stuff. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's also something else ridiculous with this team is that their garbage time is going to be entertaining and interesting, which is weird for, for an NBA team. But they they have that, and those guys will need to step into roles because if there's one lesson to be learned from Miami, it's that 
you need a lot of good fortune to build a sustainable bench. You know, you can get guys to take those veteran discounts for a year. You know, like Zaza's Zaza's probably going to be gone next year because he's that would be a lot of money for him to decline two years in a row. You never know with somebody like David West or anything like that. And so that means that you need to hit at least periodically, let's say every couple of years, on a second round pick, on a late first round pick, because those give you the buffer to make everything else work. And that's something they're probably hoping for with McCaw, is that McCaw can replace Ian Clark if he has a good year and gets paid somewhere else because the Warriors can't pay him that much. And, you know, those types of things. And if they can hit on one of those two, one of those three guys, and then then that's a huge step. And you're right, the project idea is something the Warriors fans are very, it's in their muscle memory of caring about those guys because it used to be their whole team. Like, that used to be everything. I mean, I wrote a piece, I think it was my second year, about how it was like, Steph Curry is the future of this team. And it's like, that. those kind of articles, aren't you don't really write those anymore because the future of their team is their present for now. Yeah, and so right. yeah, we'll, I, see, we'll see how that works out. Well, I, I uh, actually just saw a clip of Anthony Randolph dunking. And uh, it was either a Chinese league or a Spanish league or whoever he's playing for now. And I, I, that was a... A nice little flashback to when the yeah. uh, to when rooting for the Warriors was pining, you know, mining uh, Euro League stats for like a Marco Bellinelli or like a Sarko Jabakova or a, uh, I forget the name now, but yeah, the, you know, looking for for that type of development. Um, that that used to be, I mean, that used to be fun, honestly. I mean, the Warriors got sucked, but um, having that thought of what actually could happen, although it never did, was fun. Um, and they kind of get that with uh, McCall, Looney, uh, Jones, even. Um, so, so that'll that'll be interesting. And then, and I, I kind of don't I don't want to you know I want to take too much of, of your time. Maybe there's a little bit off topic here, Danny. But I did want to bring up uh, one final point on my end, if that's, if that's all right. Of course. And also, quick, quickly, I'll mention Anthony Randolph plays yeah. for Real Madrid. He he played against right. OKC, and that M- it was on NBA TV. I watched it and was intensely amused. <laughs> of course, you watched it. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's great. Uh, so the the final point I, I guess I wanted to make was on KD was on the way he's being received um, at this point uh, by the media, by the fans so, uh, about the way that he left that team. I have a piece coming out on Warriors World who who I switched over and write for now, and it, it basically focuses on the cultural and kind of uh, cultural upbringing in ter- differences between people that grew up in the Bay Area, you know, like me and you, um, and then versus people that grew up uh, in the Midwest. So, so maybe some place like Oklahoma, uh, Cleveland, uh, Indiana, places like that. I, I just found it interesting that the way we perceive players is, is different from them. And now the what, what I've been seeing um, is that is that the way it, it was more of for them, it's more of the ideals that they have are more familial, more they were brought up to enjoy the game of sports and projecting that type of family values into sports, um, projecting that type of sports are everything. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, I think that's just something that they were brought up to, uh, to understand and to live with. And I think that's different in the Bay Area. And I think, you know, long story short, that's kind of what has caused this type of difference and this type of backlash between between what the Warriors fans are feeling about KD and then also what OKC fans and other fans are seeing about his departure. I think a lot of this is on KD's fault, not creating a better PR image um, when he left the team, perhaps. And uh, and part of this is on the fans that uh, felt entitled and obligated to keep a player that, like that on their team because they felt like their values um, when he was on the team are that they should have been, you know, they should be together. Um, it's, a little, it's a lot more nuanced than that. I'm kind of just kind of summarizing it. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm working on. And, and it's interesting to see differences because I've never been to the Midwest. And um, I can't speak to, to how, they, how they feel. But at least speaking to people from OKC and people who live in those areas um, is kind of the vibe that I got. I, I have been to the Midwest. I was raised, um, my my grand, my grandparents, especially my grandmother, were very important in raising me, and she was born and raised in Akron, so right outside, right outside of Cleveland. And there is something, not only from that experience, but just, you know, being, traveling and everything like that, that you see in all parts of it, and this is something that connects it, my angle is similar to yours, which is that people impute or their own values of sport right. and everything onto players, whether that reflects them as an individual or not. And so one of the biggest flaws with that idea is the concept of loyalty. Because 
when you are a fan, you are a fan of that team for a reason. Maybe it's that your mom or dad was was big on it. Maybe it's that you moved there when you were a kid or you met, you know, you met your you know, a star athlete as a kid and you became a fan of them or their team. That's not how players get onto their teams. They best the best players in the league get onto their teams because that team had a high draft pick. That's the way this right. works. And yeah, they build some loyalty to the area and to the franchise over time because they've been there. And because in the NBA system, as long as that team chooses not to move you like OKC did with James Harden, you're there for eight to nine years without any choice in the matter, as long as you're good enough to get that kind of big offer for your second contract. And so people think because they have invested a lot in you, that you have invested a lot in them and they didn't have a lot of choice in the matter. And so what happens with Durant, and this is how LeBron's LeBron going to Miami completely changed the way I thought about a lot of this stuff for that exact reason, because he had more imputed into him than almost anybody ever because he was from there in the first place. And so right. a lot of that stuff was there. And what people lose sight of with this, but they identify with in their own life, is people make the best decision for themselves. And there are a lot of different reasons why Kevin Durant chose the Warriors. I mean, it could be where he was living. It could be that it was a team that's competing for championships. It could be that these individuals are a lot of fun to play with. I think it was all of those things and more. A supportive atmosphere, a new challenge from a basketball perspective. You know, like playing with Russ, as much as I love the guy, went to college with him, is very different than playing with Steph Curry. And all of those things made it a more obvious case. It's part of the reason why it was something that was so heavily discussed long before it happened, even though it seemed so unreal. And so what, what, and the other part of this, which is so important and people lose sight of is that most players only get one shot at this. They get one bite at the apple while they're in their prime or near their prime to maximize those years. And to ask that player to take a situation that he thinks is inferior for whatever reason because of perception is really right. selfish. Like that is not a decision that anybody would ever expect their own children to make that anybody would ever ask would, if somebody yelled at them for it, they would be incredulous because why would you do that? And most of us don't have this narrow window to do the thing that we love. Like I'm a sports writer. I'm, I'm lucky enough that this is my profession. If I can, you know, if, if, Lord willing, I can, people are willing to like, I can make money off of this. I can do this until I'm 70 or 80 years old if I want to. That isn't true for professional basketball players. And they have a longer window than almost any other league. And so asking somebody like Durant, if he said the Warriors are a better option for him than Oklahoma City or somewhere else to say, oh, you shouldn't have done it is just garbage. Like straight up, like that is a bad argument. It's an argument you would never make in your own life, but because they're athletes and they get paid a lot of money and you invest in them, they think that that's a credible argument, but it absolutely is not. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of it is to the player themselves. They say things, right? Like KD says things and Damian Lillard has says things now that maybe you might regret when he's 28, when he has that decision to make. And a lot of the times the players are kind of trapped by what they say um, because maybe at the time KD felt what OKC fans were feeling at the time. And he really, really felt like he wanted to be there and he cultivated what he had with, with Russ. And they painted it that way, wherever it may be, the media, the fans, whoever, painted it that they were going to be together and they were going to win a title through the tribulations that were, they were going through, the heartbreak that they were going through. And, but he changed his mind. Um, and I think that um, him changing his mind is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and him being uh, maybe easily influenced by the, the culture of the Bay Area, because the culture of the Bay Area is different from the Midwest, to where I think the Bay Area culture is more of a, we can do something good for you, you can do something good for us, um, and this is going to work. You know, you're going to be in the tech industry, you're going to be here, you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to get way more ex exposure, and that's going to be good for you. And in turn, you're going to help us win three, four, five championships. That's the kind of vibe I think that, that we have over here in the Bay Area. And in the Midwest, it's more of a, hey, let's, let's you know, we're, we're together. We're in this together. We're, we, you know, we're brothers, and we're going to win this title together. And I think KD used to feel that way. I think that's true. Um, but I also think that he changed his mind, and that's not a bad thing. And I think the same with LeBron. Maybe his was like that as well, where he thought they were going to win a title together, and then he stopped playing next to, next to Scrubs and getting swept by the Spurs. And so he decided to go to Miami, win a couple, and then come back. And, you know, he changed his mind, come, come back, and then win a title in Cleveland, I think. Like us, me and you, like a fan, like whoever may be, has the ability to change their minds, their actual beliefs, you know, uh, uh, of who they are and who they want to be going forward. 
And that's not a bad thing because at the end of the day, these guys are human, which is why I believe, you know, in the other, I believe things like being clutch or momentum is real to an extent um, because these guys are human and not everybody is, is that, um, like that superhuman mental image that we give to like a Michael Jordan or maybe revisionist history to people like Magic or Bird, um, things like that, right? Or even a Russ nowadays um, where we, we give them that image of being that strong mental person who doesn't need any help or won't change his mind. It is who he is. Uh, but no, that's not how it works. People change their mind. People change. That's what happens. And, and um, I guess I don't necessarily dislike the backlash on it. I just think it's interesting how it's, it's viewed differently from, um, from people across the entire country. There, yeah, there, your point. there is an analogy which, pe- which can, more people can connect with. Not everybody. It's not the most inclusive thing, but it's from my own life experience. And it's that the people who, from my experience, who went to college, who were the least satisfied with the experience were those who did it because they were pushed to maybe that school or that program or whatever by other people. The ones who were, who basically made their own choice and made an informed decision, you know, every once in a while they'd be wrong. But the ones who, you know, went, they like visited the campus and they kind of really thought about it and they were able to make the best choice for themselves were generally the happiest with it. And the people who, like, maybe their parents pushed them into a program or pushed them to a school because it was close or it was cheap or whatever, like, they ended up being the, they ended up not, not universally, but by and large being the least happy. And the reason for it is that you, when you make your own choice, you not only have, you probably make it better for your own interests, but you also have a greater investment in it because you chose it. And so, like, that's really what Durant did is he's like, you know, this is the best thing for me. There will be consequences from it. Who cares? And that's the right way to do it. You know, that's the the right way to, to think about it, especially when, kind of like college, most people only get one shot at it. Yeah, and I think, and I think there's also less, less regret because, I mean, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe KD doesn't win a championship with Golden State. Maybe his goal is to win four and he wins two. Um, I don't think he's going to regret it. I think, I think he, no, we don't know him again. But I don't think, and, and speaking to the analogy of, say, colleges, you, if you know that you make a decision and you get it yourself 100%, you're not going to regret it because you're going to look back and say, hey, I made this. I was comfortable making it. I was happy making it. And though it didn't work out, it was all me. Now, if I think one would regret it if they were pushed towards one way and it didn't work out. Then now you're looking back and saying, hey, I mean, this, went, what, this didn't work out, but it was out of my control, which kind of sucks, right? Like, I wish I could go back and kind of, you know, change it and kind of make my own decision, something like that. Um, that way I can, uh, but if you make this in yourself, you're kind of absolving yourself of that blame and saying, hey, I mean, I was happy making it then. There's really nothing to regret. But, you know, again, I, I don't want to go into, you know, what, what KD may or may not feel here. Um, but all, all, everybody seems to say that he did make decision on his own. And, you know, I'll take, I'll take that for what it is. And, and I think he's happy making it. I've never seen someone say they're having fun in an interview this many times. Um, so, you know, and, and, and maybe it is a shot at OKC. I don't know. I just, it, it, it's just, like I said, it's just interesting. It's just interesting to see different ways, different, the different values people uh, project on the players. Uh, speaks a lot of, of the, them as a person. So, uh, yeah. I, I agree with you, and I think that's a great final word on the podcast. So thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> Appreciate it, Danny. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Andy for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Warriors World, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Andy K.H. Liu. It's A-N-D-Y-K-H-L-I-U. A very fun follow, especially if you're a Warriors fan. I, I enjoy the way he uses Twitter quite a bit. It's It's something that's a lot of fun and I enjoy his writing as well so you should definitely check that out and it was good to kind of talk about Duran and the way that it's been perceived and everything like that because there is this fundamental human part of it that sometimes gets lost and I, I meant what I said about people ascribing their own morality to it because that gets really complicated and you see it in sports very differently than you see it in other things especially with the nature of how players get on teams. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If not, maybe it gave you something to chew on. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, and different, you can reach out to me at Danny LaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or Danny LaRue MBA at gmail.com. Read everything, respond to what I can. You can also follow the show, Locked On Dubs on Twitter, Locked On Warriors on Facebook, Locked On Warriors at gmail.com if you have any 
feedback or any or uh, things that you want to discuss on the show. I've had a couple of good ones that I'm just trying to figure out how to incorporate. Maybe it'll be in a mailbag or something like that. So we're getting close to actual games. Not all the way there yet. Looking forward to next week where get get a little bit more in terms of games. And so Monday's podcast will be on the games that occur Friday over basically over the weekend. And then, and I'll have at least one guest working on maybe doing two, I'm just trying to figure it out. It's hard because they play two games between podcasts. So that will all be worked out. Also, if you are a local business or any real, doesn't have to be local, that's interested in advertising on the show, you can reach out to me. Locked on Warriors at Gmail is probably better, but you can use whatever means of communication you prefer. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of in terms of that sort of a thing if you're interested, and I can give you numbers and anything else that you like. If you support the show, in other ways, you can download every episode, you can subscribe, you can leave a rating review in whatever podcast player you use. It's great if it's iTunes, but it's totally fine if it's not. And make sure tell people that you, tell people that you think would enjoy it. It really do appreciate it. I've done a lot so far on word of mouth. This has not been a let's call it has not been a heavily promoted podcast so far, and I've had some really wonderful success, and that is attributable to a lot of people doing good work, whether that be listeners, my guests, my friends, and everything else. So that is, it's a wonderful thing to to be a part of, and we're still not at the meet yet, and that's going to happen soon. And so thank you to all of you who have let me be a part of your, if you want to say your commute or your lives or anything like that, because it, it has been really fun so far, and the fun is just beginning. And talking about this team in the abstract has been an experience, something that's been going on since the 4th of July and even before that, but it's about time to really get this thing going. And so going to try to really hit the ground running next week in terms of content, but if you've missed anything this week, the last couple of days have been interviews with guests, Andy today, obviously, Jared Dubin on Thursday, Ian Levy on Wednesday, and then I did two of my kind of big bigger picture things in terms of the four factors on Tuesday, and then Kevin Durant is a score on Monday. The Kevin Durant podcast is also going to be in text form, I guess you could call it. I, I fleshed it out and modified some things for The Athletic that's going to come out in the next couple of days. There's been a lot on that front because we just launched The Athletic Toronto, so there's a lot of brain power going in that direction, but the pieces will start coming in more full force, and then I have a Warriors-related piece for the sporting news, it's not, they're a part of it for the sporting news that'll come out probably early next week. I don't know exactly when, what the timeline is right now. And for those of you who enjoy my other stuff, have a Real GM Radio coming out in the very near future with Tim Bontemps on the tiers of both conferences. So talking about every team and everything like that, then have a guest spot I did on the Blazers Edge podcast, which will be coming out over the weekend, did the fan-sided podcast with Ian Levy. I can't remember the exact name of it. And lots of other, you know, lots of stuff going on. It's it's fun to get back into talking about basketball and everything else. And now there's a lot more interest in it. And so we'll see where all of this goes. But thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.